1 Corinthians chapter 12. Second part of chapter 12 this morning, verses 12 through 31. And Paul's going to focus on one body, many parts. One body, many parts. And the illustrations uh, that he uses, again, the human body and you know, each member of the body is very much like the body of Christ. Paul talked about our spiritual makeup and gifts last time we were together in verses 1 through 11. Now from verse 12 to 27 here, he explains our spiritual unity in diversity by using a a comparison of the human body and its different members. Now we may not easily understand spiritual realities, but we can pretty much see physical realities realities like the body that we all live in illustrating uh, spiritual principles by comparing them with familiar and physical realities that was a favorite way used by Jesus and it was also often used by the apostle Paul and that's why he connects verses 1 through 11 uh, with the word for here in, in beginning in verse 12 the word for or therefore notice as he says in verse 1 He said, for as the body, I'm sorry, in verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also in Christ. So the comparison is clear. All right, the word therefore in verse 12, or for, same thing, same meaning, means uh, therefore, or even as, or so also. So again, in verse 12, he says, for so, or for also, We have the human body on the one hand and Christ on the other. Now, Leonard Bernstein, the American composer, said this. The hardest instrument in the orchestra to play is second fiddle. And that's probably because the person playing second fiddle has to work just as hard as the first violinist. He has to work just as hard as the guy that's sitting in the first chair. And yet that person playing second fiddle has to be satisfied with what seems to be a lesser role in the orchestra. But thank God that's not the way it is in his kingdom. There are no second fiddles in the kingdom of God. Each person in the kingdom of God has an important part to play. And none is more or less important than the other. God doesn't have degrees of, 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 you know, positions. They may have greater responsibilities or lesser, but neither are less or more important. In chapter 12, that's, uh, this, this chapter is a reminder to us that, that as Christ's body, each one of us are a member of his body with a sure ministry. And that each one of us functions both individually and interdependently. That is, we focus, we, we, we function individually on our own as well as with each other. So it's important that, that we understand that for the, you know, the, the way that God designed the body to function. So again, some will be chosen to lead. Others will be given the jobs of, of encouragers and companions. Now, the Apostle Paul's life was a guided life, not a driven life. In other words, Paul's life was guided by God. It wasn't driven by his impulse 
or his own thoughts or ideas. It was guided by God. So for the most part, God not only directed Paul where he should go, and Paul's God-given task was totally impossible to do on his own. God intended for Paul to have companions and assistance in ministry. And it's important that you catch this to help understand ministry and everybody working together in the body. Again, God intended for Paul to have companions and assistance in ministry. Companionship in ministry isn't only describing Paul's life, but it's a rule for every Christian in the kingdom of God. We are not lone wolves. We are not superstars. We don't do it alone. It was God's deliberate intention that Paul was led by the hand in total blind dependence upon others. Think about that. And remember when he got saved, what happened right off the bat? He was blinded to show that. It was God's deliberate intention that Paul be led by the hand in total blind dependence on others. His ministry started out by being blind for three days. Others had to lead him around. And it's interesting that we don't have any record of Paul ever setting out on a missionary trip without somebody along with him. Paul learned early uh, the importance of companionship. And the great missionary William Carey said this, I will venture to go down, but remember that you must hold the ropes. It's imperative that churches be companions to those who are called and sent. That is a role of all of us. We are to be companions to those in ministry because you are needed. The church at Antioch in the book of Acts was the sponsoring church. They did more than sending Paul and Barnabas out. That church was involved through giving, through praying, and through supporting them in any way that they could. We see again that the importance of people working together and supporting each other in ministry and holding up each other's arms in order to get the work done. We have a great example in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 13. Listen to what it says. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow, Moses said, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Ur went up on top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand, notice, when, when Moses held up his hand, that Israel would, would, be, would, get, would be getting the victory over the war. That, you know, Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. So as long as Moses had his hand up, they were, they were defeating the Amaleks. But when he let his hands down, the Amaleks began to prevail. But Mo, because Moses, it says, Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone that has been in uh, Aaron and Ur. They took a stone, put it under Moses, and sat on it. Notice, and it says, and Aaron and Ur supported his hands. They said, uh, again, and the, um, one on one side, one on the other. And his hands, that is Moses, his hands, they, they, he held them steady until the going down of the sun. So Ur was on one side, Aaron was on the other. They were helping to hold up Moses' hands. And they held up Moses' hands until the sun went down. 
And then it says, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. You know, it, it shows many times that, that praying is hard. It's difficult at times. Here's Moses. He's, he's, he's lifting his hands to God. He's, he's praying for victory, but his hands would get heavy at times. And when he began to put his hands down, then the enemy began to beat the Israelites. And so here's Aaron, here's Ur, they've set him on a rock, they put Moses there, and they're holding, helping to hold up, hoping to held up his arms. And as long as they held up his arms, and he held them up till sundown, they got the victory. So again, it shows the importance of companions. It shows the importance of, of people's support for the ministry, for those that are called. Nobody is meant to work without help from the body or in opposition within the body. Because all are equally important and dependent. So let's begin now with verse 12 of chapter 12. And and Paul says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Then look at jump down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, But now indeed there are many members and yet one body. Look at verse 27. He goes on to say there, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Notice three times here, and, and there's more, but just here alone, Paul uses the human body again. He uses the human body again. He used it in chapter 10, verse 17. And he uses the human body to show us the unity and the interrelationship and the interdependence of the members of Christ's body, which is the church. And through chapter 27, I'm sorry, through verse 27, Paul uses the word body at least 17 times. And he uses the image of the body in many other places in Scripture. And and when you think about the human body, I think that the human body is probably the greatest creation of God. It is an amazing thing, the body of God. It's amazingly detailed, it's amazingly complicated, yet it's interconnected. And it's, it's interconnected with a harmony and an interrelatedness that can't be matched by anything else. The body is infinitely so much more than the, the total parts that it's made of. Christ's body now, the church, which is you, it's not the building, each one of you, you are the church. Church bo- churches, Christ's body is also one, the church. Christ's body has organizations, it has denominations, it has groups of all kinds. But there's only one church and every true member is a member. I'm sorry, every true believer is a member. Paul is also determined on making this point of oneness in the church that he refers to Christ as the church. Because we can't separate Christ from his church any more than we can separate the head from its body. When Christ is referred to as the head of the church, it's always in the sense of the mind, the spirit, and control. When a body loses its mind and and its spirit, it stops being a body and it becomes a corpse. It still has form, but it doesn't have life anymore. It still has form, but it's no longer a living organism. In our body, we have thousands of difference of parts, but they're all connected to make it work. 
Now, in the foot alone, there are 27 bones. In the foot alone. Now, have you ever sprained your ankle, torn ligaments, or stubbed your toe? Now, when you stub that little toe, hey, it affects the rest of the leg. You're limping, and you're gimping, and you're hopping along. One little toe. But it affects the rest of the body. And it keeps the rest of the body from functioning the best that it can because of that one little toe. You know, it turns black and blue. The whole body hurts. The whole foot foot hurts. It swells up. Again, it, it, it not only affects the, the part that's injured, but the, but the rest of it in different ways. The one, the, the, the one point is when one member suffers, and this is the point Paul's making, when one member of the body suffers. When I hear one of you are hurt, it hurts me. It affects me. Because, again... We're not only a body, one in Christ, but you know, many of us have known each other for years, and, and it's like second family. You know, and sometimes we're more like family than our immediate family. But we've known each other and love each other, and we help each other. And, and when that person is sick or they're injured or something, you know, it, it, it grieves us. It affects us. And that's the way Paul is talking. That's the way that the, the body is interrelated. And the point, again, when, when one member suffers, we all suffer. Sin hurts. When somebody's hurt or they're in sin, it hurts us. It affects us. It makes the body less effective. Look at verse 13 now. Paul goes on. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Paul says, hey, when a person becomes a Christian, it doesn't matter who it is, Jew or Greek or whoever. He says, when when a person becomes a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes in, dwells in your heart, and that person is born into God's family. And then Paul says in verse 13, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. That is, we're baptized together in one spirit. This means the Holy Spirit totally fills the deepest part of our being. And as members of God's family, we may have different interests and gifts, but we have a common goal. Jesus Christ. Look at verses 14 through 17 now. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the, if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? The most important quality of the body is unity. Working together. You don't see the hand wanting to do one thing, the foot trying to do another thing, and, and a leg going somewhere. It, it, it works in unity. The most important thing about the body is unity. But diversity is important. You know, unity does not mean conformity. We can be diverse in unity. It's important. Diversity is important to that unity. The church is one body, but there are different members. 
The body isn't one member, it's many. So the Corinthian church, like a lot of churches today, was divided. They were divided in leadership. One had this leader, they, they followed, the other followed this leader and this leader, and they were all boasting about it. But they were divided. A lot of the Christian believers weren't happy with their gifts as well. Paul said in, in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians verse 3 and 4, he said that carna- envy is carnality. Envy is carnality. And it seems in in the church of Corinth, it seems that everybody wanted a gift that somebody else had. Isn't that the way it is? Howard Hendricks said, comparison is carnality. When we go comparison, what we have with what some, that's, that's carnality. Then Paul goes on using the illustration of the human body to further make his point. The person with a foot thought he couldn't really be a partner, a, 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 part of the body because he wasn't a hand the ear thought it wasn't a valuable uh, or useful uh, item because it didn't you know it it wanted to be an eye and i'll bet you that if the if the complainer got the gift that they wanted guess what they would have complained about something else that's the way it is that's that's human nature because selfishness and envy is never satisfied Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 1.8, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The eye is always looking for something new. The, the ear is always listening to hear something new. Envy is also usually grouchy and pouty. If the person can't have their own way, they take their ball and go home. I'm not playing anymore. I won't play with you guys anymore. And that's what what some of the immature believers at Corinth were doing. You know, in false humility, they were saying, well, you know, I really don't have a spiritual gift, so I guess, you know, I'm not really a part of the church. Or they would say, you know, my gift isn't as good or important as so-and-so's gift, so I really don't have anything to offer, so why get involved? But that attitude isn't a sign of humility. It's self-centered. It's selfish. It's an insult to God's wisdom and His love. Refusing to be a part of the body doesn't make you any less a part of the body or any less responsible for ministering within the body. And yet we don't have any right to to remove ourselves from our God-given responsibilities just because we're not happy with what we are and what we have. Because a lot of Christians have never been involved in ministry. They've never known the joy and the blessing of ministry and the joy and the blessing of pleasing the Lord because they don't recognize or they refuse to use the gifts and the chances that God has given them to use them. And that's disobedience. And Paul goes reminding us that the body couldn't possibly do uh, its work, you know, if it were all the same part. You know, Paul uses the example, if the whole body was one big eye, how could it hear? I just weird some of you might go back and remember that movie The Crawling Eye yeah some of you do it was just a, it was just a big eye that was that was crawling around in a fog and you know terrorizing them. anyway it's 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 what was it it was a monster basically that's supposed to you know if, if the body was just one big eye it would be a monster what good would it accomplish? Where would be the hearing? 
If the body was just one big eye, if we were, this, if the, we were just one big eye, where would the hearing be? It, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't function the way it was meant to do. And so, you know, if it was an ear, on the other hand, if it was just an ear, where would be the smelling? You know, how, how could it smell? So, again, it, it, Paul's showing how senseless, how silly it is if it was just one part. Think about it. You could, be a, you could be a lot more effective if the members were doing different ministries. If everybody's doing the same thing, you know, their life and their service would be unbalanced and the church would be ineffective. You know, it's like the body if it was just one hand. It wouldn't be as effective as if it was two hands and two legs and two feet. Look at verses 18 and 19 now. Paul goes on to say, but now God has set the members, notice, notice, each one of them, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? God in his sovereignty and his infinite wisdom, he gives the gift to each one of us, to each member. It says, and he gives them as it pleases him. And he gives them as it pleases him according to his will. As he wills. He's the one that we're to please. The gifts are in the body so that the body can function as God designed it to. And not being satisfied with our spiritual gifts and wanting gifts that we don't have. When the Corinthian church did that, it was to question God. Why don't I have this gift, God? Why did you give that person that gift? It's questioning God's wisdom. It's questioning his goodness. I know that I have what I need. God's given me what I need. There's, you probably, you know, there's there things that he gives other people that I don't have and vice versa. But I have what God wants me to have. It's what I need. And we all have the gifts that God wants us to have based on our need. And, and based on how he wants to use us in his kingdom. That's why we're, 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 we're one, but many members, all doing different functions. Not everybody does worship, not everybody teaches, not everybody's ushering, not everybody's a Sunday school teacher, not everybody's working in the sound ministry. They have special gifts. And that's how the church functions. Imagine if we were all, all worship people. Well, we, nobody, no ushers, no, it, it, we, the, the church would be out of balance. It would be out of balance. And so, uh, again, um, it, it's questioning God and saying, Lord, you don't know what you're doing. Because of, because of, of our, the, the believers in Corinth, because of their carnality, they didn't see their gifts in the right way. Because, you see, they didn't see the sovereign God in the right way. They didn't give their gifts, didn't get their gifts by chance. God gave them to them as he willed. But God gave them their gifts, as verse 18 says, as he pleased. Again, questioning our spiritual gifts is questioning God and not using our spiritual gifts is, obeying, is disobeying God. Paul said in Romans 9, 20 through 21, he says, Will the thing formed say to him who formed it? Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay? You see, when you question God and you'd say, you say, you're not content with where, what you are or where you are or what he's given, 
you're, you're asking God, you know, who, who, who are we to reply to God? Who are we to say to God, hey, Lord, why did you make me this way? Lord, why, why, why didn't you make me like somebody else or, or, you know, able to do this or to do that? You know, if you, if you're a potter and, and you're making things on your, pot, your, your, your pottery wheel, you have the right to make whatever you want. You can make a vessel for, for, for you know, like a vase or you make a vessel for, for collecting trash or whatever. And, you know, you're the potter. You can make it for whatever use you want it to be. And so, again, when God created us, he's made us for different uses. A Christian who, do, a Christian who <clears throat> doesn't have a ministry is a contradiction. A Christian who doesn't have a ministry is a contradiction. Because we were all made to serve God. He didn't save us to sit. He saved us to serve. And they're disobeying. Those who, who, those who don't have them, they're disobeying and denying God, denying God his right to use them the way he made them to be used and for which he's gifted them. Now, most of you probably go to work. You have a job. You have a specific job to do. Think of what a contradiction it would be to ask you Okay, what do you do at work? That's not the contradiction, but it's part of the contradiction. You ask, what do you do at work? And they answer, nothing. Now, I used to work with people like that, but they did nothing. But anyway, you ask the person, hey, what do you do for work? Nothing. I just sit there while the boss tells everybody else how much work there is to do and, and how much help they need. And then I just sit and watch everybody else do it. What a, what a contradiction. When you say no to following God's will and plan, you deny his authority, you deny his lordship, as well as his wisdom and his goodness. We weren't called to do our own thing, but the Lord's. Jesus said in Luke 4, 6, 46, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do the things that I say? Great question, Lord. The arm... The arm doesn't have a will of its own, or the foot, or the eye. They all have a certain function. The arm doesn't have a will of its own. The foot doesn't have a will of its own. The eye doesn't have a will of its own. They're each controlled by the head, the mind, the will, the spirit. The only possible way that the body could be in sync with all of its members is because it's directed by one will, the head. Who's the head? Jesus Christ. One will tells each part of the body to do what it's designed to do, what it's equipped to do. And when it obeys, you'll be amazed at how they work in such unity together. That's why Paul uses body as such a beautiful picture of how the church should function. The head is Christ. The head gives the orders and the head gives the orders to the human body for where it should go, what it should do, and how it should do it. How much more should the Lord Jesus Christ control his own body, the church, of which he's not just the head, but the creator as well? And when we obey, 
God's, we'll be amazed at how, how, how we all work in such unity together. And as creator and Lord, God has placed each member in the body. He created us. He's given us new life. He's put, in, he's put each one of us in his body. And he's put us exactly where he wants us to be. And what he's given us, he's exactly given us what we are equipped to do. And exactly, he's given us exactly what he wants us to do. And because the Corinthian believers were dissatisfied and they were disobedient, they, were, they, were, they weren't effective. That's why they had problems in the church. They all wanted to do something else. They wanted different gifts. They wanted to follow different leaders. And it was a mess. They didn't use the gifts God gave them the way that they were intended to be used or they were being, you know, they were being misused. Because, because a hand isn't doing its job, a foot is asked to do the work. If most of the body is idle, which it is, the active members have to do work they're not called or equipped to do. But substituting a foot for a needed hand isn't God's perfect plan. And it can't satisfactorily replace God's plan and God's power. The only way the church can operate as God intended it to operate is by using the gifts of the Spirit in the power of the Spirit as intended and the way God desires. Now, we all have what God wants us to have. So let's be thankful for that. Let's be content with that. Whatever gift God gives us, hey, it is a privilege. It's a privilege anyway. And we don't deserve anything that, that, but judgment. The only thing that we deserve is judgment. And, and it's really sad when believers aren't satisfied with what God gives them whether it's spiritual gifts, even our circumstances in life. Though they might be, it might be, they might be adverse circumstances. God gives them to us for, for reasons of, of maybe learning something or, or learning how wonderful God is and how uh, he answers prayer to show his power. So God, God gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us our circumstances or he gives us, you know, anything that the Lord gives us. We should be thankful because it's coming from God and it's for his purpose, his perfect will in my life. No Christian, no Christian would be better off or happier with a more noticeable gift or in, or in their eyes, important gift. Because we need to understand that God gives each one and every one of his children the best gift according to his will. And knowing that, knowing that what I have, God has given me his best for me. Knowing that, that should make me happy. What he's given another believer wouldn't be good for me. Wouldn't be good, wouldn't be God's best for me. So a body that had only one part wouldn't be a body. It would be a mutation, just like I mentioned a minute ago. It would be a monster, a mutation. If all the members of a church had the same gift and the same ministry, it wouldn't be a true church. 
It's wonderful to see when we have a Sunday service, all the different ministries in their place so that you guys could be here to listen to the word of God. The kids are being taught. The ushers are taking care of folks in the parking lot. The worship team comes up here at the beginning and leads you into that beautiful place of worship. You got the sound folks back there. You know, they're, they're taking care of the sound for the recording of the, of the, the, the CDs and, and for the, the, the service to go out on, on the internet. The church is so effective and powerful when we're all doing what we're called to do. It's a blessing. And we're all blessed when it all functions and when it all goes off the way it's supposed to. We're all a part of that. Again, no, no stars, no superheroes. We all have the same goal, and that's to get God's word out to the world. And we're all a part of that. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. That a body without, uh, there's only one part is not a body. It's silly and it's childish not to be satisfied with what the Lord gives you and then not use it. Hey, we aren't perfect. But you know what his gifts are? His will is perfect. The ministry where we're called to use those gifts is perfect. His design for the church is perfect. His gifting of the church is just as perfect. So we can get some ideas about gifts from incident. Let's get some incident, again, some ideas about uh, gifts uh, from the Bible. For example, Dorcas, she had a gift of sewing, and she used her gift for the Lord Jesus Christ. When she died, Peter went to Joppa, and the widows showed Peter the dresses that Dorcas had made for them. And the reason they wore them was a lot of those women were poor. They were poor women. So she made these dresses for them to wear. Dorcas and her gift were important in the early church. Now, could that be the reason why the, why the Lord, through Peter, raised her from the dead? She had a gift that was still needed. Peter, for example, he had a gift. Peter was a gifted preacher, and on the day of Pentecost, thousands came to the Lord. Thousands got saved. God used Peter greatly. But when God didn't need his gift anymore, Peter died, and he wasn't, he wasn't raised from the dead. You see, God is sovereign in all of this. The one who decides what's important and what's not is God. Cooking, sewing, fixing cars, constructions, they're gifts. You know, if God has called you to cook or fix cars or sew or to do construction or to dig holes, whatever, then do it. That's a gift. Yeah, it might sound silly and it may be meaningless to those around us, but they don't understand the God that we serve. The Holy Spirit wants us to use our gifts and to bring them under the lordship and the leadership of Jesus Christ. Ananias and Sapphira, they had gifts, but they didn't use them. They didn't submit them to the lordship of Jesus Christ and their gifts were not working for Christ. So they fell down dead in front of Simon Peter. They couldn't exist in the early church. They had gifts, but they weren't using them the way they were, they were supposed to. Verses 20 through 26. But now, indeed, there are many members, yet one body. 
And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again can the head to the feet say, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on, the, uh, on those we bestow greater honor and our, and our present, unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our present, presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, notice, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You and I need each other. That's what Paul's saying here. And the Lord wants to use each one of us. Mutual support and encouragement is necessary to avoid division in the body. We should look at every believer in every ministry like God does of the highest importance. In a mature and spiritual congregation, members will watch out for one another. That's what we should be doing also, watching out for one another, caring for one another equally. We should care for the nursery worker just as much as we do the usher or the person in the cleaning ministry. In the church where God planned for his children to be obedient and loving, Paul said in Romans twelve fifteen, we will rejoice with those who rejoice and we will weep with those who weep. You see, when we rejoice with those who rejoice, we're doubling those people's rejoicing. When we weep with those who weep, we're cutting, a half, we're cutting in half their sorrow because we're weeping with them. One member suffers, all the members suffer with them. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with him. This is the only kind of shared love and concern for one another that can, that can stop or heal division in the church and keep the unity. There's, to be, there's not to be any disliking of one another. There's to be no competition. We're not here to compete against one another. There's to be no envy or meanness or inferiority or superiority, but only love as described in chapter 13, which we're going to look at next week. It's about a love that never fails. And our gifts, our spiritual gifts are to be used in love. The only people that can love like this and be unified in that way are Christians who are Christ's body and each one members of it. And only Christ's love can produce this kind of love. Paul reminded the Corinthian believers that individually and together they were Christ's body, the church that he died for. They were one in him so that they should be one in each other. Paul said earlier in, in, in the first Corinthians in chapter one, he said they were not lacking any gifts. They had all the gifts. He said, and they were perfectly equipped for every good work. So that they could represent and serve the Lord. As a local congregation, they were Christ's body in miniature. A representation of Jesus. To all of Corinth. Let us be a representation to all Kavina, all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Every local church is fully equipped to serve the Lord Jesus, just as every believer is fully equipped to serve him. 
And think of it, anything lacking, any deficiency is always on my part. It's always on my part. It's never on what God has provided for me. Verses 27 through 31 as we close. Now, Paul says, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, in those first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts or of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. He says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all preachers, I'm sorry, teachers, are all workers of miracles? He says, do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Now the answer is, the inferring of the answer is no. Not everybody has the same gift. Then he finishes verse 31. He says, but earnestly, notice, earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. That more excellent way is what he's talking about in chapter 13 when he's talking about love, the real meaning of love. God did not intend for everybody to have the same gift. He distributes the positions and the gifts according to his sovereign purpose, again, as he wills. Our responsibility to is accept the ministries were given with thanks and to use them faithfully for his glory. Verse 31, real quick here. But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. The best gifts are those that are most helpful to the body of Christ. Paul has already made it clear that one gift is not better than another, but he urges the believers to find out how they can serve Christ's body with the gifts that he's given them. Your spiritual gifts aren't for your own benefit. They were given to you to serve God and to improve the spiritual growth of the body of believers. For those around you, you are to edify them. Each person plays a vital role in God's kingdom. From the least noticed to the most leading individual. And each role is just as important as all the others. So the key is not how noticed you are or how effective you are. It's how obedient you are to Jesus Christ. Again, Jesus said in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command. On the other hand, he said, and I read this verse already, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? We must always be attentive to the fact that we are the servants the ambassadors of a mighty king, Jesus Christ. Jesus decides our usefulness to his purposes according to how he's gifted us and how he's equipped us for ministry. And our main concern should be how well are we doing it? How well are we serving our Lord Jesus Christ? How well are we doing where he's put us? We are to bloom where we're planted. It's not what we do for God that will count when we're all done, but what we let God do through us and with us that will last. What the Corinthians needed to ask was a more excellent way. Or what they, what they needed to seek was a more excellent way. That is the way of contentment and unity that he's been exhorting in chapter 12. And the way of love that he's about to show them in chapter 13, which we'll look at next week, using their gifts in love. They didn't have these things. But they needed them so badly, just as badly as we do today. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter, Lord. And 
great chapter, Lord, and I pray that we would grasp what Paul was teaching here, God, that we're one body led by Jesus Christ, the head of that body, and that, Father, we all have different gifts and serve different purposes, Lord, but all for the glory of God. So, Lord, we thank you so much, Father. Help us to do what we've been called to do. Help us to be content, God, in the place where you've called us and help us to bloom where you've planted us, God. And help us not to be any more than what you want us to be, God. We know that you want us to to move forward in, in grace and love in our relationship with you and each other, Lord. But Lord, let us not move out of the place where you have put us, God. We allow you to raise us up. We allow you to set us down, God. And we thank you. And Lord, we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness, God, and always taking care of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, as always, encourage you to come back for our evening study, 6 o'clock tonight. And um, we're doing character studies, and we're uh, currently studying the character of Joseph. And tonight's title is uh, From Privilege to Persecution to Slave. Joseph was a privileged guy. He was persecuted.